just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. six, I want you to write at the top of your note sheet because we got to dive right in. We got a lot to do and short time to get there. Short time to get there. What we bring into the church. What we bring into the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about just the confines of our building and our worship services, but in the body of Christ with one another. What we bring into the church because we do bring some things with us. And we've looked at this lady's life before in our RISE study, but we're going to look at it in a different angle in John chapter 8. And it's this sinful woman that's been caught in adultery and what Jesus says about himself right here. But John chapter 8, uh, 1 through 12 is what we're looking at. And then we're going to go to Zechariah some too. But as we launch into this, this, this encounter, this event, Jesus has gone up to the Mount of Olives. And then early in the morning, verse 2 tells us that he comes again into the temple. And so for us, it would be the church today, like what we would consider our church building. And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and he began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And I want us to remember that Jesus is still, he's in this outer court Jesus is always in our outer court, but here he is. He's got a gathering of people where men and women could come. So we know that he's in that public place, but he's teaching. He's teaching the truths from from the word of God. And of course, he's the living word. And as he's teaching, we know and we're told this, that people were coming to him and that he was beginning to teach. Let me give you these two word meanings real here real quick before we get in our first point. When it says they were coming to him in this scene right here, coming means to show oneself, to find a place or influence, to follow or to begin to rise to follow or to begin to rise. So to show oneself, when it says people were coming to him, he's teaching what we would consider a public gathering of worship. He's teaching, he's, he's teaching the word of God. It means to show oneself, they're coming to him. So we're showing ourselves to him. We're looking for a place or a place of influence, to find a place. Do you know, and in the church, most of the time when people are drawn to come to church for the first time, or maybe they've been out or, or Sunday after Sunday, they're searching for a place. They're, they're searching for influence. And this is the picture that's drawn for us in this word meaning when it says they're coming. They were coming for to find a place, a belonging, a place of influence and uh, someone to follow. We were created and God's word refers to us as sheep. We were designed, our DNA makeup, 
Our neediness is compared to that of a sheep. We were created to follow. We were created to need a shepherd. And we're, we're not to shepherd ourselves. We need a shepherd. And so this is the desperation of the crowd that's gathered and Jesus is teaching them because they're looking for a place. They're looking for a place and influence. And to teach here is just a simple meaning to explain, teach, instruct, or to instill doctrine to instill doctrine. And I will say this about uh, God's people. When I say the church, I don't mean Rock Springs because we're getting great doctrine here. But doctrine is truth. It's principles. We need the meat of God's word. We don't need to be entertained. We need to be taught. We need to be fed into the marrow of our being. And so this is what Jesus is doing. If we want to know what kind of teaching should we do, if we want to follow Jesus in that, and we should if we're a Christian, then we need to be instructing, explaining, but we need to be instilling doctrine. Not quoting other preachers and all of that, teaching God's Word. But you see, we're living in a time where God's people, we want our ears tickled, entertain us. Listen, and my heart goes out to the pastors because it's, it's, a, it's a hard um, responsibility. It's a heavy responsibility to when you put yourself in the position, well, I got to keep them coming. I got to keep them happy. That's a hard place to be. But see, we know that people are looking for a place. We are all looking for a place to belong. We're looking for influence. We're looking for someone to follow. And this is this crowd, and he's teaching truth. And then in the, in the middle of this, they are interrupted by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And the scribes and Pharisees were kind of enemies anyway. So they came together for this one event, and they bring this woman caught in sin, the sin of adultery, and they throw her into the middle of the court, into the middle of of the worship and the worship should include, of course, number one, the teaching of God's word. So in this public gathering, I can't imagine that. So point number one, what do we bring into the church? Number one, the accused. We bring the accused into the church. The accused is brought into the church and we should, when we're coming into the church and I've told people this, listen, if the Lord is not there, what are you coming to? At least Jesus was in this gathering. So to come to this church, they were coming to Jesus, to this, this body of, of gathering. They were at least coming to Jesus, and they bring this sinful woman. The accused is brought to Jesus. Let me say this. Let me just interject this. There's no better place for the accused to be brought to. Because if the accused is brought to us, we're not going to show and extend the same mercy because we're big old sinners. And we judge, don't we? So we bring the accused into the church and we should be able to do that. And it says, having set her in the middle of the, or the center of the court. Let me give you what the word set right here means. Right quickly, my children, right quickly. Set means to uh, set or place in a balance. And you say, what does that mean in a balance? To weigh on a scale, on a scale. And, and we're to weigh on a scale. We're missing a couple of words there, and that's my fault. But to weigh on a scale. 
So they, they put her there in front of the Lord, the accused for her sins, her actions to be weighed against what? The word, what the law for them, it was the law. You see, our sins are put on a scale. Now, what we can't do, what we can't do, and I wish I had something. I'm just going to get this. I hope I'm not out of the camera shot. So sorry if I am. This right here, if it's our sin, and we bring, as accused, we come into the house of God. What I can't do as a sinner, as a sinner, positionally, I understand I've been forgiven, but I'm still a sinner. I'm still one who sins. And there, some probably 30 or 40 years ago, this, this popular teaching began to surface, and it's still there. No, 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 you're not a sinner anymore. Well, I am because I still sin. But positionally, I'm forgiven. I'm a sinner who has been forgiven. So it says, if, yes, I have never sinned, but I'm still able to still sin. But what we can't do in bringing, this is what we like to do. We come into the church or we come before the Lord or we're walking our Christian walk. What we like to do is I like to take Sister Sunday School's sin and put it on the scale. Let's see how she measures up. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were bringing the sin of another. And when we bring the sin of another into this kind of setting or before the Lord to have him weigh their sins, we're putting ourselves in a position that only he holds. I can't go before the Lord and say, Sister Sunday School, her sin, I need you to deal with her because she's a sinner. Well, I'm a sinner talking to him. What he's going to tell me is, well, how about we deal with yours first? In Zechariah, and we're going to get to some scriptures, and I want to show this to you, but in Zechariah, there's a story about Joshua the high priest. This is not the Joshua that led God's people into the promised land. So let me just make that interjection. But in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, there's this scene that we're given this vision of what's going on in the heavenly realm. And it says, then he showed me Joshua. Now, the, the prophet's being shown this, this vision, this scene. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him, to accuse him. Let me give you what the word accused right here means. And this is a verb. This is an action word. A verb is an action word. And so this word accuse, if you look it up in the Hebrew language, do you know what it is that you find in the Hebrew language? S-A-T-A-N. Satan. It's the verb for the name Satan. So it means a liar in wait. He's just waiting. He's a liar, but he's waiting for his opportune time. It means to be an adversary or to resist. We have to understand as God's people that we have, listen, our resistance is not each other. If you think that that's, that's the, your reality, then you're, you're disillusioned. The enemy has put blinders on you. 
We're not at war with one another. People are not your, your obstacles. We have a very real enemy over here and he's an accuser. And I, I love the book that the staff and some others that I have are reading, The Four Voices. And he describes Satan as a cussing parrot on your shoulder <laughs> all the time. All the time he sits on your shoulder saying these things. And so this is the scene that we see in Zechariah that he's, and we're going to come back to it and see what happened. But this is what the Pharisees were doing. You see, and in doing that, and we, we know that this Joshua, the high priest, is going to get into his robes. What his attire was, was filthy garments. And so this is what Satan will do. When we accuse, when we, we're never more like Satan, by the way, when we accuse others before the Lord. It's not my place to accuse you before the Lord, and it's certainly not your place to accuse me before the Lord. We've put ourselves, we've set ourselves up as a scribe and a Pharisee, and we know how Jesus felt about them. You're of the father of the devil. Your father, the devil. That's a pretty strong accusation right there. He has the right to do that. So they bring this woman in and they're throwing her down. It's so to speak, showing her filthy rags of sin, accusing her before the Lord. Let me give you a nugget right here. So let me ask you a question first. What robes do you see when you look at each other? Because I know people, when, when, when they, they, they may have lived a terrible life. Listen, like me, before I came to the Lord, my garments, my, my life, they were filthy rags. They were terrible. They were ugly. But when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and He changes us, and we've known that person, do we still see them in those same rags? How do we look at each other? Yes, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. So, so let me give you this nugget. How you dress one another in your own eyes will determine how you treat them. How you dress one another in your own eyes will determine how you treat them. Oh, once a drunk, always a drunk. That's a lie. What's an adulterer? Always adulterer. That's a lie. Once a liar, always a liar. That's a lie. Once selfish, always selfish. No, that's a lie. And this is what Satan loves to do. He loves to accuse us. And this was what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. You say, Pam, how can you show me that it's not my place to accuse someone before the Lord? Because you've got to remember, they're, they're in this gathering this, this body of believers gathering before Jesus. Well, Jesus says it in Luke 6, 42. Luke 6, 42. How can you say to your brother, listen, or sister, let me take out the speck that is in your eye. Let me make that right in you because you're wrong right there. When you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye. It's like a logger, loggerhead. Got a big old log. And he says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. 
Listen, these groups of people bringing her to the Lord were hypocrites. Why? Because you're a sinner. No one can accuse you before the Lord except, listen, yourself. He's not going to listen to that. You can come and make a confession. He's the only one that can say, you sinner. You sinner. He said, you, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly how to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Do you know we can't even see how to take the speck out of each other's eye, how to help somebody navigate to a better place, even in love, until we've dealt with our own sin. But this is what the enemy loves for us to do. He loves for us to set a spotlight on what everyone else is doing wrong. He loves that. If that's where your focus is, then he's got you. You're just an instrument of his. You're an instrument of his and you're doing his bidding because you will never deal with the own, your own log and your own eye until you stop and say, you know what? I, I've got I've to pick up this mirror. I've got to take a hard look at myself. And we're always going to have people like that, like that. I understand that. So let me give you a nugget right here. Sin left unattended in our own life becomes a log of blindness. Sin unattended in our own life becomes a log of blindness. Because we don't really, to, to keep from dealing with our own sin, we get busy in other people's business and their sins. Because we don't have to deal with ours. We set it over here. And so just like Satan did with Joshua the high priest, so are the Pharisees doing this with this lady. We've caught her in adultery. They're condemning her. John Wesley, one of the founders of the United Methodist movement, as the most dangerous winds may enter a little opening, at little openings, so the devil never meets more dangerously than by little unobserved incidents, which seem to be nothing, yet insensibly open the heart to great temptations. He looks for little bitty openings, little cracks, little windows to get in. I, I've often wondered what the story uh, was of this woman. And by the way, I'm so thankful that this woman's name was not put in scripture for us. Pam Jenkins was brought before the Lord and this was her sin. Can you imagine the eternal word of God, your sin eternally with your name on those pages? What mercy not to mention her name. You see, maybe it was a little crack that she started having a conversation she shouldn't have had. Maybe she uh, fell into the trap of the lies that maybe if she, was, if she was married or he was married, we don't know the whole story, that she was unloved, that she made it all about her. Whatever that little window was, it led to this moment where she's being accused. She's in a position for the enemy to accuse her before the Lord. This is what Satan always wants to do in our life. He wants to find a ground of agreement with you. If he can find one ground of agreement with you. Oh, you're not loved. Oh, you're right. I, I'm not loved. Nobody appreciates you. You're right. Nobody appreciates me. God would never forgive you of that. Oh, you're right. 
He could never forgive me of that. You don't have a future. Look at your past. It's so horrible. You'll never have a future. What can God ever do with a mess like you? You're right. He has us looking back here at all the accusations. He's the best accuser. He's looking for a ground of agreement with you. And when he has it, he has an opening. So we don't know how this lady got in this situation, but somehow the enemy got to her. We will always be the accused as long as the accuser is free. And as long as we are on this earth with one another, because when any one of us walks into the church or with the body of believers, do you know that we're already the accused? Because we have an accuser. I don't need anyone. Listen, and I get accused of a lot of stuff. Lord knows. I wish I had a dollar for every one of them. The ministry would never need again. And listen, if you serve God, you can amen with me. You understand. You see, I don't need people to accuse me. We have an accuser that's alive and well in the spirit world. He's constantly. He'll even accuse you in the mind or ear of someone else. Something that's not true, something that you didn't do, something that you didn't say, something that you didn't mean. He accuses all of you to each other. And he causes divisions. We are the accused when we come in this door. And I pray that the accused would not be of us accusing one another. What a sad state the body of Christ is when we accuse each other. We've got an accuser that does a pretty good job of that. So silence him. If he's whispering negativity about other people, you know that's not of God. God's not going to come down and tell you somebody else's wrongdoings. God doesn't operate like that. Let me tell you what Pam did the other day. You won't believe it. He doesn't operate that way. She was selfish to do that right there. She was dishonoring to you right there. Do you think God's going to do that? That's not God's nature. So they set this woman down in front of them. So what do we bring into the church? The accused. And I pray that we're not the accuser when we come into the body of Christ. Point number two, we bring our own version of the truth into the body of Christ. We will bring our own version of the truth. You say, Pam, what do you mean by that? Because this is what they go on to say. They say, now, the law of Moses, the law of Moses, they say, commands us that we stone such a one. But not just such a one. They say in verse 5, and now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Well, they had their own version of the truth. When you have your own version of the truth, this is a mentality. My concern trumps everyone else's. Nobody has a concern like mine. I have the right to be heard. I have an inside line of truth that no one else has. Well, throw yourself off of that throne. It is my duty. I listen, I've known women like this over the years. 
It is my duty to point out everything that is wrong. It's my duty. I have an obligation. What I have to say is more important than what the word has to say. My sin doesn't count. My sin is justified. I'm justified in slandering you. I'm justified in belittling you. I'm justified in gossiping to somebody else about you. I'm justified in revealing your secret sin, your weakness. I'm justified in in glorifying myself. I'm justified in exaggerating that truth about what you did because I want to build a posse against you. I'm justified. You see, my sin doesn't count. That's the attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes had. We bring, listen, we bring our own version of truth into the body of Christ every day. And especially on Sundays. What does the truth say here? And these were the religious leaders who claimed to keep the whole law, except the part that says, thou shalt not lie. Leviticus 20.10, the law says this, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The law doesn't command that just the women be stoned for this. You can't help but read this and say, where was the man? If she was in adultery, then he was in adultery. Whatever the situation was, if they were both in adultery, one of them or both were married. They were both adulterers. Deuteronomy 22, 22, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. Aren't you glad that Jesus came and paid the penalty for our sin? (laughs) We're not under that. I love that. So let me give you a nugget right here. This is a hard reality for us. Listen, it is for me. And I want you to think the Bible teachers beyond this penetrating to my marrow because it does. We all have the ability to be a hindrance to truth. We all have that ability to be a hindrance to truth because we like to put our own spin on it. I'll tell you as a Bible teacher, what will make me angry, a righteous anger. And by the way, anger is not a sin. And there's a hush in the sanctuary. Anger is not a sin. It's an emotion. God has been angry. And He's a holy God. There's a righteous anger. There's a holy anger. We ought to be angry over murder. We ought to be angry over children being abused. Sex trafficking. We ought to be angry over those things. But what will make this teacher angry is when someone takes the Word of God and they manipulate it. They manipulate it for their own agenda. I don't like that. Because God's Word is holy and we're not to add to it. We're not to put ourselves in a position to say, God has said. We have His Word. And in fact, God says, I have, in these last days, I have chosen to speak through my Son all that needs to be said. There's no new revelations that we need. God will order your steps. He will show you what you are to do. And so coming before the Lord with their own version of the truth, 
They became hypocrites. And let me, let me go through these verses really quick. And I'll ask you, what is your truth? What is it? Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Jesus says, you hypocrites, speaking to the religious leaders. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips saying they represent God. But they're judging, they're condemning, they're accusing. But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Don't let anyone come to you and be your Bible. Not to be your conscience. The Holy Spirit's your conscience. The Bible itself is the living Word of God. Learn it. Study it. He will order your steps. You don't need anybody to come and tell you, this is what God wants you to do. This is God's will for you. No, 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 no. Scratch that. You have God's word and he will lead you and he will guide you. And this is the position that these men had put themselves in. It's a very dangerous position when you make claim that you are speaking for God and you are acting in the position of God. Matthew 23, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus used the word hypocrites a lot. Listen, it was usually with the religious leaders. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, one sinner, one person who's broken the law, he says. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. That's a pretty strong language. How does Jesus feel about it when we put ourselves in that position? Wow. A son of hell as yourself. It's pretty strong language, Pam. Well, it's the Lord's. Luke eleven thirty nine. 39, the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. It's what we bring into the church. Listen, our own, our own version of the truth. I worked with some religious, and I won't say the religion, but some religious women in the, when I was in the school system for years before going in full-time ministry. And they would say... They would go into the lounge. I can't have that because it's got caffeine in it. I'm not supposed to have caffeine. Or I can't have it because of their religious beliefs. But then they'd be cussing like a sailor outside in the parking lot. Or belittling a child or gossiping about another teacher. See, this is what the Lord, this is what angers the Lord. You hypocrite. You, you try to clean up the outside. I can be a wicked person, but as long as I don't have caffeine... <laughs> it's true. It's out there. Point number three, what else do we bring into the church? We bring our own version of the truth and the accused. Number three, no rights. That's painful. You bring no rights into the body of Christ, into church. No rights whatsoever because church is not about you. It's about him. It's not about what somebody has said or done or not done for you or with you or to you. It's about Him. You have no rights when you come into the body of Christ. It's an honor and merciful, it's a merciful act for Him to have brought you into the body of Christ to begin with. No rights. 
And so in John 8, 7, as we continue reading in verse 6, it says they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And we learn this in Rise, that he goes to the dirt. He gets in the muck and mire for her sin. He begins to write. He remembers that she's just dust. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, I love this line. The next time somebody comes to you condemning you, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Because they were demanding she be stoned. The only one that can pick up a stone and condemn you. Now, I'm not saying that if someone is in a situation and you know they're headed down the right path, wrong path for you to go in love and say, hey, I'm concerned, concerned about you. You know, what's going on with you? But condemnation is wanting someone to be punished for it. Wanting vengeance. And he said, if you have no sin, then you throw the first stone. You carry out the judgment against her. No one could do it. You, you be the first. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. You know, he remembers that these accusers are sinners too. They need Jesus just as much as this woman in front of him does. Now, all along, this body of believers and listeners and students of his are still present. So they're watching how he's handling the accused, how he's handling the accusers. Again, he stooped down, he wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. He said, Pam, why do we have no rights when we come into the body of Christ? Because you're a sinner. You can't throw any stones. If you, if you can, then that means you're without sin. That you've never sinned. And there was only one that was sinless on this earth. And see, and then we can go and we can condemn. I think it's a beautiful thing when I have a heart. If We'll just use Brandy on the front row right here. If Brandy is, is in sin, and I, I know it, for me to go to her in love and say, hey, I, I love you. I'm just worried about this right here. How can I help you get to a better place? Usually we don't have to be told that we're in the wrong. We know when we're wrong. We know when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. But to love them, and that was not their purpose. So when we come into the body of Christ, number one, you have no rights. We have no rights to condemn or point out anybody else's sin. We have no rights there. We've just been shown mercy and granted access because of Jesus to come into the body of Christ to be a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus so wanted them to get this. But they left one by one. And our last point right here, point number four. What else do we bring into the church? The need for mercy. The need for mercy. We all come in with the need for mercy. Because in verse 10, straightening up, listen, he waits. I love it that Jesus gets down and he stays low in the dirt with her until her accusers are gone. You know, it's him, he's saying, I, I'm getting down into the low place with you. I'm getting into the muck and the mire with you. 
I'm going to come into your hard place, take you by the hand, and lead you out. That's why I love the potter's house and Caitlin's promise. So I love ministries that you've got to go into the, in JBOP ministries, and counseling, in the counseling world, you've got to go into someone else's darkness, get them by the hand, and lead them out. They can't lead themselves out. And I love that Jesus stayed low with her until all her accusers were gone. And then he straightens up. Now he stands as one who has the right to judge her who has the right to accuse her of her sin. But what does the one who has the right do? He says, woman, where are they? Meaning the accusers. Did no one condemn you? Did anyone throw that stone? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, I do not condemn you either. Even though he could have. I do not condemn you either. But here, here's the beautiful part. This is where grace and truth, they don't divorce. They stay married. Because he says right here in verse 11, from now on, sin no more. That relationship you're in with that married man, that wrong relationship you're in, get out of that. Stop that. You go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you even though I could but I am going to challenge you, stop it. Stop it. You've now come face to face with me. You've been shown mercy. You've been shown grace. I handled your accusers. Go and sin no more. And Jesus said, no one, Lord. And he said, I am the light of the world, verse 12. He who follows me, he starts talking to the crowd. And I've often wondered, did the woman stay or did she take off? Immediately. But he, he, he just spoke to them, meaning the same crowd that had gathered. He says, I'm the light of the world. Follow me and you won't walk in darkness. You won't, you won't get over here in that sin you shouldn't have been in. You won't go back to the darkness that I brought you out of. Here's the beautiful part. The Pharisees and the scribes, listen, they meant it for bad. They wanted to test Jesus. Their motives were not good. But it brought her sin to the feet of Jesus where it needed to be brought. And sometimes God will allow us to experience hard, painful things to bring our sin to the light. Listen, not for the congregation, but for Him. Sometimes it takes a driving to get us where we just spill it all out. And the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus said to them, if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. See, there was two things that legitimized or validated someone's testimony. To know their their origin and their destiny. Their origin and their destiny. That's why the devil's so out to attack in our culture today, origin. Because if we don't know our origin, where we came from, we won't know who we belong to. And if we don't know who we belong to, then we won't know who we need to get back to, our destiny. He said, I know the or- my origin and I know my destiny. 
that makes my testimony true. And he says, grace out. Let me give you this. Grace has to stoop down. Don't write this down. You don't, you're not going to be able to. In the muck and mire of the dirt of the earth to extend grace to the sinner. It has to. What if we did the same with each other? What if we did the same to each other? Amen. Yes. What if we extended grace down in someone's muck and mire, not after they've cleaned themselves up. Anybody can extend grace to someone who's cleaned up. But what if we did it while, while we're down in that muck and mire and we've just been drugged out of a sexual relationship, out of a bed? And she probably had no clothes on. Because they caught her in the very act and they pulled her out of that, left the man and brought her. Can you imagine the shame? Forgiveness demands humility in order to give it because it has to go to the place of sin to redeem the sinner. So let me give you the closing here, and this is where we've worked all night to get to. And I've seen this for the first time in 40 years of studying God's Word. Isaiah 118, Isaiah says this, and we're fixing to go back to Zechariah. He says, come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're like crimson, they will be like wool. And then in 43, 25, Isaiah says, I even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. If he doesn't remember your sins, then you don't need to remember them. You certainly don't remember anybody else's. James 5.20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, that's what Jesus was doing. I want to save the soul. I'm after the soul, not after condemnation, not after exercising authority or power that I might have. Because there's no one without sin except him. And when he says, did no one, no one condemn you? Did no one condemn you? And he says, go and sin no more. The word condemn means to judge or sentence. Did anyone judge you? Did anyone give you a sentence? Because no one has the right to do that. And I've run into people. I've run into people over the years condemned to judge or sentence. And you haven't seen them in a long time. And they want to bring up something they've heard or a wrongdoing. And most of it's usually not true. It's somebody's put their own spin on it. But what I love to say is you got to take that up with my Lord. Because there are no stones with him. I'm certainly not going to receive yours. I'm certainly not going to receive yours. And then when he tells her to go, let me give you this. It means to lead over or carry over, transfer to pursue the journey on which one has entered. But here's the big one. If you don't write any part of this definition down, but this part to depart from one's previous way of life, to depart from one's previous way of life, depart from it, carry it with you, what you've been given, carry it with you. Pursue the journey on which you've just entered, which is, which is with him, with me, Jesus said. You see, Jesus didn't condemn her sin, but he didn't condone it either. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't condone her. So let me, in closing, say this. 
Back to Zechariah. Zechariah 3, 2, and 7. We have Joshua standing there and the, the accusers accusing him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, isn't this a life that I plucked and showed mercy on? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments standing before the angel, standing before the Lord. He's clothed in his earthly garments, all these wrongdoings, all of his brokenness, all of his regrets, all of his mistakes. And he said, he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And then he said, let him put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, if you will walk in my ways and perform my service, then you will also govern my house and you will have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. You see, God gives us grace. The Lord gives forgiveness and he gives us this new life, these new robes. But there's an accountability with it. If you will continue in my, listen, my word, my service, what I've called you to do, I will use your life. Keep going with him. Don't, don't back down. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. So here's this beautiful picture. And we see this in the sinful woman. I'm giving you clothes of forgiveness. I'm clothing with garments of righteousness. I'm exchanging your filthy rags for my robes of righteousness. I said, Pam, but we still blow it. And, and, the, and the devil will love like that cussing parrot on your shoulder. He will cuss you out sometimes, won't he? Like that cussing parrot, he will just, especially when we blow, and we're going to blow it. He wants, to li- he wants you living in condemnation. Let me show you this verse, and I love this. Isaiah 40, 11 and 10, or 10 and 11. My dyslexia. Like a shepherd, Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock In his arm, he will gather the lambs. And here it is. Slap your neighbor over this. Here it is. He will gather his lambs and he will carry them. Listen, in the fold of his robe. In the fold of his robe. I've never seen it. Don't you want to slap somebody over that? I said, I've read that a hundred times. You not only clothe me with your robes of righteousness, but you will carry me in the fold of your robe, your robe of righteousness. And when I blow it, no one has the right or can or the power to take me out of the fold of your robe of righteousness. Because you brought me in. I'm in Christ. I'm in Jesus. I'm a new creation. But what we do is we try to remove ourselves from the robe. And it says he's going to carry us in his robe. He will gently lead us, he says. Those nursing, listen, babies, those ones that he's going to be gentle with. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me up with a robe of righteousness. As a groom puts on a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So let me give you this last nugget. 
what we bring into the church. He dresses us in his robes, but he also carries us in them. He dresses us in them, but he carries us in them. So what we bring into the church are all of us who've been given the robes of Jesus. And we can allow him to still carry us, to still be in his robes, listen, of righteousness and the way that we treat each other, the way that we serve him, the way that we honor him with our lips, the way that we give, the way that we are selfless and all of these things are sacrifices that we make for one another. Knowing that it's not about us, it's about, it's about him. Because listen, and I leave you this final thought, if I'm in his robe, then he is seen and not me. He is seen and not me. You know, we want to go, woo, look at me. No, it's, it's about him. And I, I don't know about you, but there are times that I'll let that little parrot, that little cussing parrot, that little accuser, that liar in wait, just waiting to condemn me. And I'll forget. I'll look back at my past, or even in the moment if I've blown it, I'll look back in the past, which is where ne Jesus, God never wants her eyes there. And I'll see the filthiness of my past. And I'll forget the robes that I have. So I don't know where you are. Maybe the enemy's been attacking you in your mind. And it's time for you to say, you know, he's forgiven me. I need to let it go. For my, I need to forgive myself. I need to remember whose robe I'm in. Or maybe just thanking him for the robes. I'm so thankful that he didn't listen to my accusers. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Van Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.